All right. So welcome to all of the early folks showing up, which is mainly our, our folks on Kasai and our guest for this afternoon, Amanda Wheeler. Um, just uh, waiting a couple minutes for folks to join in. Uh, for folks who are just tuning in for the first time, which I don't see any first-time listeners here, uh, for more information about CASA, go check out our website, casaa.org, for all the news, information, uh, research, opinions, and opportunities to get involved. Um, currently, we have, uh, in addition to what we're talking about today, uh, an engagement up for the entire world, really. No matter where you are in the world, you can comment on FDA's proposed regulations to ban the manufacture and sale of menthol cigarettes and flavors in cigars, which is a much broader category than just what you think of as a cigar. Um, you may be wondering why a smoke-free advocacy organization is interested in this regulation and why we're opposed. Um, so please go check out our post on the matter. You can just go to our website and do in the little search bar menthol and it'll pop up or go to the national uh, ways to get involved. Uh, it's under the get involved header there. Uh, and uh, you can find all of our justifications for why we are uh, opposing this and what we're uh, encouraging people to share in their comments. Uh, and so I'll let everybody go do that on their own time. But today, <laughs> in the midst of, of the other big news, um, we have Amanda Wheeler back on the Twitter spaces to talk about the American Vapor Manufacturer's Citizens Petition to allow for the continued marketing of synthetic nicotine products in open systems uh, and uh, why this is important and how you can get involved. So uh, without further ado, let's bring Amanda on and... Um, Maybe we can we can start off by asking and, and sort of setting the table here. Um, how is this citizens petition uh, any different from uh, something that people might find on change.org or White House? Yeah, well, first of all, Alex, thanks for having me. And uh, there's definitely a lot to talk about today that I know people will be very curious about, but um, very happy to talk about our citizens petition and our fight on behalf of open vapor products here in the United States. Um, so that's a very good question. Uh, the name citizens petition uh, may be a little misleading there because uh, a citizens petition is, is quite different than the typical kind of petition you might find online at a site like change.org. Um, a citizens petition um, is a formal request that we are making to the FDA um, that they are obligated by law to respond to. Um, it was uh, prepared by our attorneys. It's a very proper, um, you know, we think very well thought out and justified request uh, that we lodged with FDA that in turn uh, the FDA uploaded to regulations.gov and the FDA uh, has a period of time when that petition will be up on regulations.gov open to comments and feedback from the public. Uh, anybody can can go weigh in and comment on that citizen's petition, whether they are an industry stakeholder um, that has an application with the FDA, whether they're a consumer of these products, whether they're an advocacy organization, 
or, you know, in fact, whether they're an opponent of vaping products, they they can also weigh in uh, with that opinion. So it's literally uh, up there for for anybody that that has thoughts on the matter to to weigh in on. And so, you know, that that is how it's different. It's it's a formal request, a formal petition of the government that the government has to receive public input on and that they eventually have to issue a formal response to. So one of the one of my my first questions was, you know, and, and, and this is this is not a new kind of situation that we're all experiencing. Um, but, you know, given today's news about the, the, the likelihood of Jules um, uh, PMTA being denied, um, what kind of I mean, even if this is something that that gets a lot of support, what kind of faith or confidence do do you or anybody else have that uh, FDA is going to give? these synthetic nicotine PMTAs, uh, the, the attention and, and review that they, they deserve. Oh, uh, you know, believe me, we are, we are executing our very best efforts in this direction, but I I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who has less faith in the FDA than I do. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I mean, and we, and we can talk about the news that, that came out today. I know that's at the top of everybody's mind. Um, but, but you know, that's just the latest in, in a long line of examples of, of you know, how badly FDA has, has botched this entire situation on, you know, reduced risk harm reduction products, you know, particularly when it comes to vaping. Um, you know, FDA didn't give um, FDA never gave small companies a fair shot at this. I mean, let's let's be honest here. PMTA at its core is a fundamentally flawed system. Um, there, there. I mean, we could do a whole Twitter space on on why FDA is just fundamentally the wrong approach to take to vaping products. With um, you know, there, all of these products are basically, you know, endless combinations of of the same. Uh, core set of ingredients, right? You've got PG, VG, nicotine, and flavoring, you know, and, and, and from that, you know, with the different nicotine levels, different combinations of flavors, different PG, VG ratios, it extrapolates out into millions of products. But at the core, all of these products are basically the same. And this is always uh, something that I thought should be approached with product standards and manufacturing standards, as well as, you know, a strong look at with how the products are marketing, marketed and advertised. But, you know, this whole system that FDA has set up is just fundamentally broken to begin with. So, you know, there's that issue that, you know, just from the start, I disagree with the whole premise of of the way that PMTA is approached. But at the same time, you know, look at how FDA handled the tobacco-derived nicotine applications that were submitted in 2020. Look at even now how they're handling, you know, the big tobacco applications, the jewel applications that had hundreds of millions of dollars of science behind them. So there's, there's no reason to have any faith that they're going to give synthetic nicotine applications a fair shake. They were given 60 days to put these applications together. You can't do these applications in 60 days. Uh, You know, on top of that, FDA was given 60 days to authorize these applications one way or the other to make a decision. That can't be done. And so this, this whole system is broken. So I have very little faith in it. But at the same time, you know, we have to operate within that the system. And so to that end, you know, we, we do meeting requests, we have listening sessions, we're doing citizens petitions. We've submitted tons of formal letters to FDA. We've talked to allies in Congress. We've had them putting in communications to FDA. And so, you know, we've got to fight this battle, but I have very little faith in the FDA at this point. Yeah, faith, faith was probably a bad choice of words on my part. I, I, and I know I've said it before, there, there should be no faith or trust in government whatsoever. This really is a matter of confidence. 
Um, and, and, you know, you touched on a really important point here, which is that, you know, FDA has given manufacturers such a short window of time in order to get this stuff in. And, and Congress, of course, gave FDA, it seems, such a short window of time to review things. But, you know, synthetic nicotine isn't new. Some may say, uh, you know, I remember seeing uh, synthetic nicotine products available, I think, oh, as far back as 2016. Um, and so, it, you know, I, certainly there must be people out there arguing that, well, the industry's had years to put these applications together and and why, you know, why aren't they doing that? Or maybe they're taking advantage of the systems, you know, not going forward with with getting these applications done years ago. I mean, is that does that does that does that argument hold up? Does that make any sense to anybody? You know, I, d I don't think it does hold up. And, you know, there are several different angles to come at this. But as you referenced, Alex, these, these are products that have been around since, you know, 2016 possible. I think 2014 is that the, to my knowledge, how far back they go, you know, certainly someone else may have uh, more expertise on that. Um, but, you know, there, there are people that have been looking at synthetic nicotine for a very long time as a way to make a total break from the tobacco plant. You know, there are arguments that with synthetic nicotine, you don't have uh, TSNAs, tobacco-specific nitrosamines, which are, you know, the basis of, of what spawns off a lot of those carcinogens that you see in cigarettes. Uh, so there are, there are people that have been looking at the space for a very long time as a way to bring consumers the cleanest nicotine possible that has absolutely no connection with tobacco in any form. And, you know, certainly there are manufacturers that were looking at it as a way to develop and innovate new products in, in the wake of uh, FDA's complete denial of all the applications in 2020. Um, outside of vape, you've got people in the oral pouch category that are looking at synthetic nicotine products as a way to bring, you know, clean versions of those products to market. So there's a wide variety of, of stakeholders in the space for sure. Yeah, for sure. And shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, one of the things that that seems um, maybe kind of a central point in in the petition is this comparison between open system products and the closed system products. Uh, and of course, all of the news that was generated about, you know, certain brands that uh, specifically, you know, closed system brands that uh, sort of uh, exploited a, a quote unquote loophole uh, in the law. I don't think it's a loophole. It's simply just an oversight. But, um, you know, in order to keep selling their products, um, my, the question that popped into my mind was, is is this petition an example of product exceptionalism, meaning that, you know, open systems are, are somehow better or preferred over the closed systems, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, a harm reduction strategy? Uh, or is this something, I mean, are, are you guys sort of, uh, you know, pigeonholed here where, uh, you know, uh, you are a manufacturer of open system products, and that's what, what you and, and the members of AVM should be uh, uh, advocating for and making sure that you can keep your products on the market. Um, but, but again, you know, we see the product except uh, sort of drug exceptionalism in the drug harm reduction space. I'm wondering if that is, is the case here. Now, you know, we don't, we don't want to fall into that trap to, you know, of saying that some products are, are more worthy than others, because certainly, you know, the, there are a large number of smokers out there and they all respond 
you know, better to, to, you know, different products. One size doesn't fit all when it comes to harm reduction. You know, some people are going to do better with a closed system. Some people, you know, are going to prefer an open system. Some people are going to prefer a pouch. Some people may prefer heat, not burn technology. Um, you know, but I think it's always important to remember that, you know, AVM is a trade association. It is our job. Um, and our duty to represent our members and our members are manufacturers of, of open systems products. And so those are the, the products that we're at the forefront advocating for. You know, we're representing our manufacturer members. We're representing the retailers that sell those products. We're representing the consumers uh, that, that those manufacturers produce these products for. And so, you know, we're kind of staying in our lane, staying true to, to who we represent and, and what we do in that. And it also goes back to not only, you know, the fact that we're a trade association representing our members, but it also goes back to FDA's 2019 enforcement priorities, you know, where they said, you know, quite clearly that, you know, in this hierarchy of products that they were concerned about, right, open systems was very low on that priority list of products that they saw contributing to the youth use problem in the United States. And yet, when some of those early PMTA denials started coming out, the first products that they started to hit were those open systems products that they stated in 2019 were very far down their list of priorities as to what they were concerned about. And so, you know, part of it is, you know, us wanting to remind them, you know, why are you taking such a tough stance on these products that by your own acknowledgement, were not at the top of your list for products that are of high youth concern? You know, when you look at National Youth Tobacco Survey, other areas like that, you, you don't see mention of these very small manufacturers that have limited regional impact of their products as the products being the ones that are driving any kind of youth use in the United States. And so, you know, there's a variety of things going on there, but those are some of the kind of high level reasons why we're taking the position that we're taking in that citizen's petition. Yeah. And I think just to sort of, you know, add Kassah's perspective in this, you know, we, we are also not taking a, a position on one type of product over another in, in, in supporting this. This is mostly about, uh, you know, making sure that these products remain available to people who smoke. And, and you know, ideally, FDA is doing its job and, and authorizing uh, a variety of products. Uh, to date, no open system product has been authorized. Uh, and, and that's... Um, well, I, I don't know that we can say criminal, but certainly the wrong direction uh, for, for promoting, you know, harm reduction and, and, and helping people quit smoking. So, um, but, you know, as, as, I, as I said, you know, our position is uh, we, we want as many of these products available in a wide variety so that, that people can, can find them, learn about them and use them successfully. Um, and before I go any further, we got, we've got Matt Cully on here, we've got Jim McDonald, and we've got Danielle Jones. So I wanted to kind of open up the floor to you guys and see if you guys had any questions for, for Amanda. I do. Hi, Jim. Hey, Amanda. I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know. It's been a while. So um, it strikes me that the citizen petition, whether it's successful or not, is a good um, um, sort of a step to take before suing the FDA if they deny these PMTAs. Um, is that something that's in your mind? 
You know, absolutely, Jim, at, at this stage and what we've seen out of FDA, you know, and what we expect to continue to see out of them, you know, we have to keep in mind um, any potential future litigation that our members may want to undertake and, you know, anything that we can do to, to help support, um, you know, any type of f- future efforts in that direction that any companies may want to take. Um, you know, right now, um, we're in this period leading up to this uh, mid-July deadline uh, where our advocacy organizations across the board, you see all of them taking all sorts of actions because, you know, we, we can't leave any stones unturned here in our fight to keep these products available. So, you know, you, you see a lot of meeting requests happening uh, from various organizations. You see a lot of formal letters being put in, you know, and the citizens petition is is just one other legal avenue that we have to communicate with FDA on that. And so absolutely, we have to do everything that we can. And, you know, there, there may be litigation value in it in the future down the road, there may not be, but, you know, certainly it's just, you know, another tool that we have at our disposal and another avenue that we have to pursue. And, mm-hmm. and I do think the fact that it's filed, uh, you know, on regulations.gov as a part of the official record on this topic, uh, you know, as a place where people can register official comments that will become part of the record. I do think that's important. Very good. So um, uh, a little history lesson for anybody who doesn't remember this. Back in 2017, um, just before Scott Gottlieb uh, announced that the deeming, uh, that the PMTA deadlines would be postponed, there was a citizen's petition from Enjoy uh, to the FDA asking them to do that. So I, I can't say that the citizen petition resulted in Gottlieb making that decision, but uh, it certainly couldn't have hurt. And citizen's petitions have worked regularly for in the pharmaceutical industry where they're often used to request um, um, changes in um, regulation on generic drugs. Um, it, so it's a regular, it's, a, it's something the FDA is familiar with. It's, a, it's not like some weird thing that, um, that anybody should, uh, I don't know, I, don't, I, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, um, so Alex has put together on CASA a call to action for this that's really uh, a great page. He has sort of a summary of the citizen petition. There's a link to the actual text of it, and you can make your comment to the FDA directly in the call to action, either using the pre-written text or altering it with your own um, comments or removing it completely and putting your own comments in. So it's really easy, and hopefully Kasa will be tweeting that out soon. Yeah, no, I actually pr- plan to send an email out to our membership um, either later today or, or tomorrow, whatever's the best time for people to open emails, uh, reminding folks, of course, that we've had this conversation with Amanda and uh, and of course, the link to the engagement to get involved. And I, I am a little bit, I think, in that camp, you know, with regard to the, the Enjoy Citizens Petition, you know, it's it's not any one thing. This is what we've been saying for years. It's not any one effort that 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 accomplishes what we're looking for. It's a combination of things. So, you know, this in conjunction with people having meetings with FDA and and other you know engagements with the regulator uh, is, is certainly really really helpful. And and we do have a history of driving thousands of people to participate in these things. And so I, I hope we can do that again um, and and get you know get consumers' voices heard on this. Um, 
So yeah, just my, my little two cents there. If you had more more to say, Jim. Um, I, I didn't really have anything more to say about that. I, I, I think that, um, that the idea of um, creating a rule and, um, you know, the idea of the FDA demanding that you um, submit PMTAs and then remove the products in just a couple months time is um, incredibly good grounds for challenging the any PMTA denials that come from it, even better grounds than um, companies had before. And many of those previous um, MDO challenges are still pending in federal courts around the country. There's still a lot of legal challenges to the FDA to be done and a lot of um, uh, a lot of answers that we haven't gotten yet as to whether they'll be uh, successful. And that's 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 my uh, story. Well, you know, uh, I just wanted to say thank you all so much for for putting together that that call to action and and sending it out to all of the consumers, uh, a part of CASA. I really appreciate that on behalf of all of our member companies. We really appreciate the support of our consumers, um, you know, because it is something that you know, we want to get the word out about this as quickly as we can, because that that July deadline is, is fast approaching. And, you know, it is one more avenue for people to, to have a chance to have their voices heard and to weigh in on the matter. So thank you guys for taking the time to do that. Well, yeah, no. And, and thank you guys, of course, for undertaking the effort here. Um, that, but that brings up another question was it's something that I, I either kind of got lost in all of the text and, and stuff uh, or it just is not clear to me. Is there a, sort of a hard and fast deadline on submitting comments or are we sort of using this, uh, what is it, the July 13th uh, sort of as a de facto deadline here? You know, that's a that's a great question, Alex, and I should know the answer to that. I will um, I will speak with Azim Chowdhury, who is our attorney who was helping to put together the citizen petition, and I will get back to you with the answer on that. I know that the deadline that, that we all have in mind is, is that July 13th deadline, but I'm not sure of, of the comment deadline. So I will take a look at that and, and get back to you on it. Awesome. Thank you. And now I don't feel so scatterbrained. I, it was it just is not clear to people. So um, it'd be great to clear that up. But for sure, it does not take away from the urgency at all. Even if it's, you know, August or something, we do have this uh, July 13th deadline. So um, we'll all be working to get as many comments as we can uh, on on the citizens petition. Um, and, it, you know, Matt's also here. And, and I, I, I don't know if you had uh, things to say specifically about the citizens petition, but uh, we're about halfway through the hour, and, and I figure we might as well move on to the, the sort of the trending topic of the day, which was the previously mentioned uh, uh, MDO for um, for Juul. Um, I, I, don't, I don't I don't quite know how to how to to start this off other than to pitch to Matt or Jim. Um, there's just so much out there in, in the Twitter sphere and on the Internet, so many opinions crawling out of the woodwork. Um, where do, where do we begin? Sure. I'll, I'll rant for a few minutes. Um, Jim stole my only question that I had anyway. So per usual, that's Jim style. Anyway, love you, buddy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that obviously, uh, uh, you know, the, the, that jewel should have been authorized. Um, I, I definitely, uh, think that this has, has 
uh, kind of lit a fire under the vaping conversation that that we haven't really had for the last few years ever since E Valley. And so that could potentially be a good thing. Like people are actually talking about vape again. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of bullshit uh, and things that aren't true being said today, but uh, at least the, the discussion has started. Uh, as far as Jewel goes, I mean, they have a lot of money. They're likely to fight this. You know, there's a lot of talk of their Jewel 2 being authorized. I've heard rumblings about that for months. I've heard a lot of people, uh, you know, guess that that the Jewel would would get denied and then the Jewel 2 would quickly get authorized. But uh, we, we'll see what happens. What do you guys think? You know, Matt, I, I, I agree with you that that's certainly the talk on the street. You know, that's what I've heard for a while is that, you know, Jewel's eggs are in that V2 basket with the, the smartphone uh, age verification technology, which, you know, that's a whole other side rant about why that's really problematic for consumers, um, which, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to you all to discuss. But, but you know, that's, that's what I've been hearing is that that's really what they're staking their future on is that V2. And so, you know, in the long term, we'll have to see, you know, after an MDO, companies have a 30-day window to pursue litigation. And so, you know, I think whether or not Jewel decides to pursue litigation over this first version will probably tell a lot about, you know, where their priorities are. So I think we'll have to wait and see how that unfolds over the next month or so. I guess my, my immediate question, you know, with this talk about the, the V2 being, you know, perhaps the, the product they're going to go with, I mean, doesn't that sort of raise the bar to sort of an unnecessary level? Uh, you know, what about these products that have already been authorized? Does that mean that companies, you know, let's just purely hypothetical, let's say V2 gets an authorization, um, to do should should other companies be concerned that they're going to have to go back and, and update their technology to 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 be at the same level here i think so <laughs> i mean that's that's they're all going to copy the big dog regardless and so i'm sure that that all the other companies already have uh beta products that they're working on with this same technology um and and unfortunately yeah like if if the v2 does get approved it's not like i you know i don't think fda is going to go and rescind the the existing uh authorizations but there might be some pressure you know for for people to uh to uh you know push the innovation forward or whatever if you want to call it that um and and you know those products if if let's say uh enjoy comes out with something similar you would think that it would get fast-tracked if if the jewel 2 was already uh was already approved so part of the pmta approval um um, is the post-market surveillance. If, let's say, some organization, the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, were to like raise a big stink over youth sales of the incredibly popular Enjoy Daily, um, it's possible the FDA could go back and rescind um, PMTA uh, authorization and force enjoy to you know put a touchpad and a bluetooth module in the enjoy daily or the views solo or you know i'm just being hyperbolic here but it is possible that based on future events the fda could rescind existing fd um pm pmta authorization or they could force them to change the product to stay on the market 
Well, you know, last time I checked, uh, I've never seen a Marlboro that had Bluetooth capabilities. And so, you know, for, for me, that's, that's a tad bit ridiculous to require that of a reduced risk product when these combustibles are out there. And, you know, you, you need very little beyond a match to, to use those. I think it brings up serious questions about consumer access, uh, data privacy, right? You know, what kind of what kind of data and information should companies really be allowed to collect over over their consumers? You know, to me, that seems um, a step too far, but that might be, you know, some kind of libertarian streak that I have in me somewhere. Well, um, I mean, I, it, I'm, a prog- I'm a progressive and I don't like it either. <laughs> and uh, right, I mean, right. especially with a company like Jewel, where everyone, you know, seems to not trust them 100 uh, percent. Should we be pushing them to now be data collectors as well? You know, it seems like a slippery slope. To Amanda's point, and forgive me if this is a dumb question, I don't know a lot about the Jewel 2, um, but so part of it's, you know, the newness of it, right, for anybody that doesn't know, is that one part is that it has some sort of special technology in it that prevents any counterfeit Jewel pods, right? So you can't use, you know, some third-party pod with it where you potentially don't know what's in it but then the there's an age verification aspect to it as well right that's the bluetooth that has to hook up with your phone or something to that effect am i right in with that yeah and so it seems to me then for someone to be able to use this you would have to be of a certain socioeconomic status to you know not only have a a smartphone have you know a working plan you know, that sort of like it, it seems to me that it, from a consumer standpoint, it raises the the bar and the you know burden to get access to this technology for those who may be in a higher socioeconomic status. Right. That have a smartphone. Uh, absolutely. Have a, yeah. They have a plant. Yeah. But you can go buy cigarettes, which require no technology, as Amanda eloquently said, other than a match. And so that seems ridiculous to me. I mean, I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that, but it, it just I mean, it, you know, to me, it kind of seems like VR technology, right? Like a lot of these tech companies want to push VR, but the, you know, the burden to get in there is hundreds and hundreds of dollars to afford some sort of, you know, technology like that, which the average American is probably not going to do. It seems similar here. Like, why would you make, you know, the technology in these only available to a certain, you know, demographic? Well, yeah, it, and obviously it's going to affect the poor. And then what about, you know, tech naive people that, the 70 year old grandma that's that's wanting to vape who's been smoking her whole life and and you know like that's that could be overwhelming like you know a tech product like that and you got to register your fingerprint and and go in and and put in all your information so it's definitely going to turn some people off so i think i mean listen i i barely know how to get on a twitter space right i mean i am not a technologically savvy person but you know in the in the grand scheme you know there there are people that are far worse off in that realm than me i mean i think about our customers and our stores like danielle said they are older people i see helen in the audience of the twitter space here i mean she works with an unhoused population uh you know trying to get them access to harm reduction products you know why are we making this so hard for people just to quit smoking it seems a bit ridiculous to me so i agree with that and i think the reason is that everything the fda does or the center for tobacco products anyway is geared toward preventing youth use and they don't really care what happens to adults once you've started smoking, once you've been smoking for 15 or 20 years, you're dead to them. And they- well, 
They this this dual decision today, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about that, right? You know, uh, love Jewel or hate Jewel, it's it's hard to argue that that more people have used that particular product to switch than any other single product, yeah. uh, you know, and 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 yet that product has been you know thrown out with the trash, despite them you know spending what a hundred million plus dollars to show FDA the science of the product, you know that that was simply swept away. Uh, because of of the youth appeal of that product, which you know, I am no defender of Juul. It, it, this is an awkward position for for the FDA to put me in. But look at look at everything that that Juul has has tried to do to get beyond you know some some of the ways that that company started out. You know, they they ditched their flavors. They put in all of this age verification technology at point of sale. You know, like no one can deny that they've gone to links to try to rectify some of that situation, and it has been the most effective product used by the largest number of smokers and and that doesn't weigh into the calculus at fda at all i will say though and and like maybe feel free to pipe in and disagree with me because i'm not 100 percent on this but i'm i'm slightly giddy about the potential prospect of an fda versus jewel showdown um but i could completely eat my words on this just because i mean and we've had so many companies getting MDOs that don't have a voice. They don't have the money to have a voice. Um, obviously, Jewel does. We'll see where, where that goes. But I mean, you know, at least there's kind of a big dog that's in the camp with all those all those folks that that uh, have been beaten down and, and uh, screwed out of their livelihoods. So one thing about that is Jewel hasn't showed throughout its history any willingness. To, yeah, totally. You're right. To fight a battle. But they haven't been in this position before, but you're absolutely right. You're right, but we don't exactly know what position they're in because there may very well be a sweetheart deal in the works where they know that this is going to get MDO'd, that the original product is, and that the the V2 is, you know. Yeah, it all all depends on when the V2 gets authorized. Obviously, they don't want any day or week or month to pass where there's no Juul products on the market. Correct. If there's even a six month span here between, you know, this and the V2 getting authorized, they're still going to fight to keep their their. Well, uh, I, I think a, a good chance that they're going to get a stay of their MDO. Yeah. Right now. But so the other thing is, this is so clearly a political decision. It's just because they've already approved or authorized, sorry, the Enjoy Ace, which is basically the same product as the jewel. So any decision they're making on the jewel that they didn't make on the ACE is based on non-product considerations to put it, you know, charitably. But they're they have pun- they're punishing other products, jewel for right? what they've done in the past. I mean, I agree with Jim. I have a hard time believing that jewels application is anything short of nearly flawless considering the resources, the money, the time, you know, all of these, I can't imagine that their, you know, PMTA would be, you know, lacking more so than Enjoys, which is a fantastic company, but they're much smaller, right? And so I'm really curious to see, you know, what exactly, I mean, they are vague, so I don't have hope here, but to see what they're, you know, what they cite as the reason for denying it, because, I mean, I I would imagine most of us would agree Jewel has some of the, the best science and the best resources out there. Well, that's that's where they'll use the you know youth risk thing, and there, there's so much vagueness to that 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 they can, you know, that's that's kind of the 
what they can hide behind whenever they, they need an excuse. Yeah. I, I sort of keep coming back to, you know, it seems the, 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 the parallels, the, the comparison you made, Jim, between the Enjoy Ace and, and Jewel, um, you know, brings this up. I, I, I don't know whether I had heard this or came to the question on my own, but, you know, I, I understand that, you know, a marketing plan is, is a significant part of, of any application. And so, you know, this could come down to, uh, well, it, not just the marketing plan, but also steps a company is going to take to keep products away from, from people who are under 21. Um, so I, I suspect it may, may come down to that. And of course, we've been talking about, you know, biometrics and all this other phone app stuff involved with age verification. But, you know, the other question here is, um, you know, what's the what is actually marketing to kids? Is it, is it a demographic thing? Is it the use of colors? Is it the use of imagery? What is it that can anybody nail this down and give an answer that doesn't involve, well, I know it when I see it. Well, I think they're just going to go on, on their past data, which we know is flawed. We know that jeweling has become a term for all kinds of products. I have a team that lives in my house and, and, you know, they, it's, it, it's, become ubiquitous for you know everything but uh i mean that's just i'm assuming that's the only thing that they have to fall back on is just the 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 data of youth use i definitely have something to say on this topic as someone who is you know a trained professional graphic designer i completely agree with alex when you talk about marketing to kids to me and to most people who would be in the advertising or marketing industry that would require a very, you know, specific set of steps, right? Taking out advertisements in Highlighter Magazine or Toys R Us or something. I mean, marketing to kids should have a pretty clear, you know, set of steps, not something like using bright colors or, you know, using illustrations as opposed to photographs or something like that. Like from a design standpoint, it is absolutely arbitrary. And I, I have a huge problem with that because, you know, unless a company is actually putting their products in a advertising platform where the primary demographic is young people, I feel like it's ridiculous to accuse them of, you know, marketing to youth, especially considering what they use are things like bright colors or the, the fact that they come in flavors. I mean, I have a, a serious issue with that. Yeah, but they don't have to. It's not like they have to. OK, let's say Jewel has always had perfect marketing that has always been you know, adult-esque and, and there's been no problems. If the product was still, still got trendy with youth, with even if it was at no fault of their own, I think the FDA could still use that against them. So like, you, you know, just because they're not, you can't prove that they marketed or are marketing to children. I don't think that that matters in their decision. I think that's correct. And I think that's what happened. So if you have, Jewel had this advertising um, uh, campaign in New York City only for six months in 2015. And then it was gone in six months. Um, and then two and a half years later, Jewel becomes a fad across the country. <laughs> I mean, most of the people who claim that Jewel marketed to kids cite that original ad campaign, which featured a 30 year old actress who looked young. And, um, yeah. and, and really that wasn't it at all. I mean, it was, it just, it was the social, it, I saw this firsthand be, being a YouTuber 
how just overnight, you know, it was all over the place on YouTube, not just vape channels. It was vloggers were using it, you know, so it's, there are, you know, there has been some talk that, that, that Jewel did some shady shit back then and maybe, maybe asked people to use it. They didn't ever do that to me. Um, But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that New York ad campaign that had nothing to do in my opinion with Jewel's actual popularity. It was, it was more of a, it's just something that happened on the internet on social media. Right. Not even just on social media. I think it happened uh, person to person, uh, you, you know, um, like any other youth fad, it has a lot of entry points, but I think the fact that, you know, one kid was showing it to another kid and they told two friends and they told two friends. And, you know, I, I think it really was just a, a, in large part a traditional youth fad, which, you know, you think throughout your life, all the youth fads that have been that's how they happen. It's not just top-down marketing. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, for those of us who've been, you know, around the industry since, you know, the early days, the the pod-style devices were, I think we can all agree, largely, you know, out of fashion when Jewel popped up, right? Most people had sort of abandoned the Sigalike style because the technology wasn't that great, right? I remember the early days, you know, working in the industry, and marketing these things and they didn't work very well you know half the time they'd show up from the factory and when you took a puff on them they didn't actually activate you know the technology wasn't good it wasn't satisfying and jewel in my eyes was kind of the first one that sort of reinvented the the pod sigalike style in a really trendy way that actually worked quite well they did have some you know leaking issues and stuff like that in the early days but they sort of you know reinvigorated this pod area and the great thing about pods is that they're incredibly easy to use, right? When you compare them to like an open system product, you've got coils, you've got liquid that you've got to move around, you've got cleaning of things, you've got parts that you have to maintain. You know, the Jewel doesn't really have any of that. So I would I would argue that the, the reason that it blew up and got so popular was because it worked well and it was so easy to use. Totally agree. Yeah, but like, beyond... Like, go ahead. Oh, no, you, you go ahead and finish your point, sorry. I was going to say beyond that, this sort of... I actually blame FDA almost exclusively for the advertising conundrum that the vaping industry has gotten into. So again, someone from a you know marketing and graphic design background, there are kind of there are only a certain number of avenues that any given product in any given industry is going to take to market their products. The majority of things that you see advertised to you, right? Alcohol, cologne, perfume, cosmetics, clothing, watches, whatever it is is typically lifestyle marketing, right? And when I say lifestyle marketing, I mean the major selling point of the product is that it will make you feel good. You will look cool. Your peers will be jealous of you. This will make your life happier in some way, right? That is lifestyle marketing. You know, drink this vodka because you'll look rich or whatever it may be. You know, wear this makeup and you'll be the most beautiful. Lifestyle marketing is where you go when you don't have, let's say, health claims that you can make. And because from the very beginning, vaping was never allowed to say, use this product to switch or use this product to quit or use this less harmful alternative to smoking, because vaping was never allowed to say that, the only other you know, avenue that they could really take industry was lifestyle. Use our brand over this brand because it's flashier, it's cooler, it's better, it's easy to use. Those were the only legal points 
that companies were allowed to make. And I think that is solely FDA's fault. If they had allowed, you know, the vape industry to be truthful about why people ought to use these products, sure, there probably would have been some lifestyle marketing eventually, because like I said, all industries do that. But it would, I don't think it would have been nearly as potentially attractive. Like consider any of the other, you know, cessation things. They don't market that way. And if vaping hadn't necessarily gone that heavy, if they'd had other options, I don't know that we'd be in the exact spot that we're in right now. And that to me is absolutely infuriating. So I don't think most people know, I don't think most reporters know for sure that the vaping industry is not allowed to advertise in any other way than lifestyle marketing. They're not allowed to say our products don't emit smoke. They're not allowed to say our products don't contain tobacco. They're not allowed to compare to other tobacco products in any way. They're not allowed, basically, to market to people who smoke cigarettes as a comparison. They have to use lifestyle marketing, and that's what they get beat up for. Yeah, going off of uh, uh, Danielle's point, uh, it was right place at the right time, and they filled a glaring hole. Um, You know, at the time, the independent industry was kind of not on purpose but kind of turning their backs on the smokers because you know low low milligram e-liquids were really popular with uh lots of airflow cloud chasing you know that those were the types of things that were getting really popular at the time jewel swooped in and you know with their nicotine salts uh, formulation made it so uh you know smokers had something more close to that mi- more closely mimicked a cigarette as far as the the amount of nicotine the hit um, so on and so forth. And they just, they filled a, a glaring hole and, uh, you know, they, they bucked the trend at the time. It was, you know, you got you guys that have been vaping for a long time probably remember, I mean, it was all about cloud chasing, low milligram, lots of power with vapes uh, so, back in 17 around there. I agree with that, but I think you kind of have to separate what made Juul popular with people who smoke and, um, what made it popular with kids, which was really just, again, well, yeah, I mean, what, what, the, un, yeah. Unfortunately, a more effective e-cig is going to, you know, yeah, have have more nicotine and and ha- and potentially be more habit forming, you know, right. and that's that's the that's the catch twenty two of the whole situation. I guess you know, one of the yeah. things. Oh, go ahead, Amanda bit of a change of subject, but this is more of a, of a process point. And, and, um, you know, this is how messed up is it that, that this news came out via the wall street journal, uh, a quote leak, right. Which I think a, a leak implies somebody, you know, low level in the agency went rogue and got some information out that the agency didn't want to have put out there. Um, I don't think it was that kind of leak. I think, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the pattern of, you know, this particular reporter and these exclusives that this reporter gets. I think this is information that FDA is purposefully giving to the media before they're putting it out in the proper channels. And, you know, if if I were, you know, an executive over at Jewel, I would be furious that this is how I found out about this information. You know, even my tiny company, you know, when we got our um, MDO for our PMTA, how we found out about it was we came out 
on FDA's um, public list of denials. That was before we received any kind of communication from FDA, any kind of denial letter. You know, our name was just put out there on this very, very public list. Uh, but in this case, you know, it's, it's even a little worse because it was put out there in this very prominent national news story that very quickly became, you know, the number three tw trending topic on Twitter. And, and you know, just what, what a mockery of the process that is, that that is how FDA is putting information out to the public with these, you know, quote, leaks uh, to the media rather than going through the process of properly notifying companies of their application decisions. To me, um, you know, that just, you know, reeks of malpractice on the FDA's part. Yeah, that's a pretty typical thing in Washington, though. It makes me wonder if there's some sort of, you know, larger strategy at play here. Like this is, but, you know, my opinion and speculation. The strategy is to get Senator Durbin to stop yelling at the FDA. Yeah, and I, and I think people have always said, like, if they're going to approve Juul or authorize Juul, sorry, they're, uh, um, they will have to have some cover to do it. And maybe denying the V1 and then approving the V2 is kind of their cover, uh, you know, and maybe Juul does already know about this, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty to speculate about, but to me, I mean, that's just so unprofessional. That's not the way that this kind of information needs to come out there. Is you know, an announcement from the Wall Street Journal that FDA is planning to do this, right? Um, I, I think it's just a you know, we all know that this is not a process right now that's being driven by science or data. It's being driven by politics. And it's also, I mean, let's be honest about it. FDA is making decisions right now based on who they would rather face in a court of law, right? Do you want to face Juul in a lawsuit or do you want to face campaign for tobacco free kids, the Academy of Pediatrics, the Medical Association, Heart Cancer, and their thousand word coalition of bullies? You know, who do they want to go up against in the court of public opinion? Do they want to be seen in the court of public opinion as battling against these companies that are corrupting the youth? Or in the court of public opinion, do they want to be tried for enabling, you know, the, the perversion of the youth? And I, I think, you know, I, it's really shows through in how this information came out. You know, they're making some very conscious decisions about what side they want to fall on here, who they want to do battle with in litigation, who they want to do battle with in the media. You know, and not to mention, I think it's very valid speculation that this may be a very disingenuous way of setting the table and greasing the wheels for some kind of you know, um, author is. Oh, you cut out there for a second. I wasn't sure if we'd lost Amanda or if my phone was acting up. I know, same. <laughs> she's, she's tapping the mute button and uh, we still can't hear you. But yeah. Oh, she went back to a listener. She probably left and, and uh, came back in. Well, we'll try to get Amanda back uh, and round this out. We got about 10 more minutes here. Um, and I had a little bit of a, a devil's advocate question. I don't know if it's going to spur any discussion or is a simple yes or no answer. But, you know, when we were talking about marketing, um, you know, one of the things that sort of rattles around in my head is, um you know, there's, we don't see ads for diverted medications or, you know, I don't know that anybody has ever seen an ad for heroin or methamphetamine, um, you know, other than what is prescribed to children. Um, so, you know, in, 
how the question, and this was, was, was originally maybe directed at, at Amanda, um, is, you know, as we were talking about, you know, Jewel's popularity really built on word of mouth. And, you know, one kid turns to another and says, hey, this is amazing. Try it. And then everybody jumps in. And, and you know, we've seen products go viral with a, a minimal amount of, of, uh, of marketing. Uh, not, I'm not just talking about e-cigs. Um, so, you know, how does the industry tackle that word of mouth marketing and, and that, that sort of curb appeal, if you will? Uh, and if the industry can't do that, is it then the role of the regulator to step in and, for example, make the products boring and only available in tobacco flavors? I mean, I know we hate to do this, but the exact same thing has played out with alcohol for decades, right? I mean, you know, alcohol companies, right, they use lifestyle marketing, obviously. There's some limitations on what they can show, but they do, you know, flavored things. They do all kinds of different stuff. And we know that underage drinking is a problem. We know that kids actually die from it through drunk driving or alcohol poisoning or all of these other things. Yet Congress and no one else seems to be, you know, directly holding these manufacturers responsible for that. It's like, well, what can they do? You know, they can't control what happens after they, you know, put the product out on the shelves. And I think that it's really hypocritical and kind of a double standard to not approach, you know, vapor products in the same manner. Yeah, there's a... Oh, uh Oh, sorry about, I got a phone call and it, it booted me out of the Twitter space. So apologies for that. Uh, but, you know, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, there's no shortage of examples of, you know, how this is hypocrisy when you look at other categories. I mean, um, you know, they, they always talk about this classic example of, you know, unicorn poop, uh, you know, to demonize vape. And, you know, there's uh, some brand of, 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 you know, rosé that's that's marketed under unicorn branding that I saw the other day. There are these, you know, vodka popsicles that look exactly like the kind of otter pops that, that kids eat. Um, you know, there are no shortage of examples. But, you know, the thing the thing that I think makes vape different is, you know, um, it's very easy to tie us to this big tobacco boogeyman, right? You know, there's this huge historical precedent, precedent for a very, very dishonest tobacco industry that, you know, knew they were harming people for a long time, went to lengths to hide it, went to significant lengths to get young people to smoke cigarettes, to get, you know, minorities to smoke cigarettes, to get women to smoke cigarettes in obviously predatory fashion. And, you know, it's been painted as, you know, vape is just the newest incarnation of that. And so it makes it very easy to, to demonize these products and vilify them and, 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 you know, treat them very differently than other product categories are treated. It's also hu human nature to always go at, you know, for, for people to go after new perceived risks harder than old perceived risks. Like alcohol already had its bite. You know, we know what happens when, when, when you ban it. Uh, so, you know, it's just like accepted, kind of like car crashes are accepted, you know, as, as a risk of society. So they, they tend to, um, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, Danielle. I mean, there's an epidemic of fireball shooters. I found some in my kid's car and now she's grounded. So uh, there's, they, they, we, we've seen the, these issues in other industries, but people just are not wired to care as much as they are when it's something new and scary to them. Also, I think something that they use, right? The issue with alcohol is that a large majority of people, you know, consume alcohol 
in some way or another, right? Socially, a drink after dinner, whatever it is. And so when you use the product, especially without any sort of problematic use or anything like that, you defend it more vigorously, I would say. And you don't, you dismiss some of these more, you know, hyperbolic and outrageous claims because you have personal experience with the product and you know that that is not exactly the norm. But with vaping, you know, it's a much smaller, you know, uh, group of people, especially, you know, like in the United States that use these products. And so, you know, oh, well, it doesn't affect me. So yeah, sure, ban it. I think that's a, a big reason why, you know, the alcohol argument can oftentimes fall on deaf ears is because people have experience with alcohol. They don't have experience with, you know, vaping or Juul. So it'll be interesting to see in the years ahead um, what happens with regulation on vaping products when the generation that used vaping products takes over in Washington. So, I, I mean, if you go and look at under 30s right now, more of them vape than smoke. And smoking is virtually dead in high school um, populations now. Something like one out of every 250 high school kids smokes regularly. So um, I think that as these young people grow up, a, a generation that even if they didn't vape, they know people who vape, they know they don't drop down, drop over dead, they know they don't get it popcorn lung, that a lot of the, the um, hatred of vaping based on uh, ignorance, which is what uh, Danielle's describing, is going to go, is going to fade away. And we'll have to see um, some policies instituted based on actual reality. On one hand, yes. But on the other, I mean, that generation, the, the millennials and the, and the Gen Zers and stuff, they're the ones that are being targeted the hardest with the anti-vape stuff. So, I mean, if, I've seen just as many of them repeat, you know, the crap about popcorn lung and, and, and so on and so forth. But you're right. There are more people from that generation that, that do use the products. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't help that, that, that consumers are being muzzled. I mean, right now on YouTube, there's, they're going after all kinds of videos, videos of people sharing their quit stories, not just, not just product reviews. They're, they're banning or age gating, which basically is a shadow ban because then their algorithm stops, uh, stops uh, uh, suggesting it. They're banning videos of just people talking about how they quit smoking with vaping. So, you know, like it, you're right, but if, if the people that are being helped by these products are completely muzzled, like it's going to take a lot longer for any of this information to get out there. That's true. And I wonder if they risk, you know, we, we talk a lot about illicit markets in response to, to heavy regulation here. I wonder if, um, you know, it's, it's great that we're seeing kids choose something different or choose not to smoke or use nicotine at all. But, um, you know, is <clears throat> making it even, even more forbidden fruit, fruit, do they risk making smoking a, a bit of a status symbol again? And, you know, this sort of an even stronger sign of rebellion. Yeah. Well, um, we have officially reached the, uh, almost, almost officially reached the top of the hour here. And I know Amanda, you, you got cut off with a phone call and then want to, uh, make sure we at least give you the opportunity to have the last word here. Um, 
in that, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you wanted to complete that thought that you had before the phone call, or if there's anything that we haven't uh, touched on or paid enough attention to, um, this, is, this is the opportunity to swing for the fences. Uh, any closing thoughts, Amanda? You know, a couple closing thoughts. I'll try to be brief. It's not my strong suit. Um, number one, th these people at the FDA, these people in Congress, these people in these public health organizations are living in an ivory tower where if you just ban things, they go away, right? And, and I don't know if they've noticed, but there are millions and millions and millions of people using these products to successfully stay off cigarettes. And that is not just going to disappear. I've been very, very consistent about this point. You can deny all the applications you want to. You can pass all the laws you want to. I mean, you know, come on, how many states in this nation have flavor bans? Flavors are still being sold in those states every day. All they're doing is driving this stuff underground and making it, you know, potentially more unsafe by pushing it into a black market. We saw it happen with alcohol prohibition. You know, it, it took a few years for, for them to realize that that wasn't the direction to go on that. And, you know, we may be going through some dark days ahead where we go through, you know, this prohibition era before, you know, it's ultimately realized that that is not the appropriate approach to take to these products. And, you know, I, I think we are in for some very dark times and, you know, it's, it's going to be a long fight, but, you know, my opinion on this hasn't changed. I think ultimately the truth is going to prevail in this arena. It's just going to be, you know, a very frustrating time for us in the advocacy space, um, you know, where, where the products maybe aren't as available or aren't, aren't, you know, as legal as, as we want them to be. And we're going to have to fight tooth and nail to get them back to that status. But, you know, I hope that, that we all have the, the stamina and the determination to, to stay the course in, in what I think are some ugly times ahead. Very good. Agreed for sure. And um, as always, we can say this now that this is the second time you've come on our Twitter space. As always, it's a tremendous pleasure to have you on, uh, Amanda, and we're very grateful for the work that you're doing. Uh, and for those who didn't catch uh, the Global Forum on Nicotine, GFN, uh, Amanda spoke there as well. And I know that your presentation is available on the AVM Twitter account. Uh, so for anybody who hasn't caught that, definitely go and check that out. And of course, you can listen to this Twitter space on the replay immediately after we're finished. And we'll have this up on our SoundCloud. Uh, you can get there through our website or just go to SoundCloud and check out CASA Media. Uh, and uh, again, a reminder that the citizens petition filed by the American Vapor Manufacturers uh, is open for comments right now. You can get to that through our website, casa.org, C-A-S-A-A. -A. Look under uh, Get Involved and National, and you'll see the opportunity to comment on the citizens petition, opportunity to comment on the menthol and flavored cigar regulations proposed by FDA, uh, and then tell your friends and send it around your email lists and uh, cold call people and tell them to get involved. Uh, all, 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 everything that anybody can do to get uh, as many people participating on this makes a big difference. Uh, and um, so, yeah, uh, thank you for everybody uh, showing up and listening, uh, taking a, an hour out of your day to, to, to listen to this conversation. Hopefully it was informative, uh, stimulating, engaging, all of the things. Uh, and I think... I've mentioned almost everything except for our store. Go buy some T-shirts, uh, Kassaw merch, the Kassaw store. You can get there on our website as well. Um, follow us, of course, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, 
uh, all of the things. What am I leaving out? I feel like I'm leaving something out, Danielle. No, I think you nailed it. I'm, I'm so proud. <laughs> Thank you. Danielle's a great coach. Okay. And with that, um, thanks, Matt, Jim, uh, Amanda, again, for joining us, everybody for listening. And we'll catch you back here likely in two weeks on the Twitter spaces.